Welcome to our 2021 Chicago White Sox preview show presented to you by Second City Sports and War Media, along with Miss Lakeen McGee, which is she. I am Sydney Brown, which is me. You can follow yours truly on the Twitter and the IG at SidKid80. Once again, at SidKid80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. And you can follow me at Keena McGee on the Twitter and at Keena Scroll McGee on the IG. You can go to our website, weareregalradio.com, for more information. That's W-E-A-R-E-R-E-G-A-L-Radio.com. You can follow our podcast, Second City Sports, along with our other podcast programming for War Media by simply going to War on Anchor that kicks you over to Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and that iHeartRadio app where you download your podcast. Make sure you type in that search engine box, War on Anchor. That's W-A-R-R on Anchor. And we're also on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at W-A-R-R Media. You can not only listen to us, but watch us do our thing live as we are doing right now. Thank you in advance for your support. <laughs> like, share, subscribe, and tell your friends. And we are unapologetically fun, and we're definitely going to have some fun today for you fans of the Chicago White Sox, for you Southsiders, for sure. This is going to be one jam-packed show. We have an illustrious panel for you. Let's introduce them to you guys. First up, he's from Sox on 35th. He's the editor-in-chief over there. He's the head writer for that great website. He's Mr. Jordan Lazowski. Jordan, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. It's really exciting to be here with Chris and Buzz and the two of you as well. Looking forward to it. Speaking of Buzz, uh, he's Brad Squires from OnTapSportsNet.com. He's also one of the hosts of the Sox on Tap podcast. He's a first-timer on Second City Sports. Brad, welcome to the program. How are you? Doing well, guys. I'm looking forward to talking some White Sox baseball. I'm here with my boy Jordan Lazowski and you guys, so I think it's <laughs> I'm excited. You know? I'm excited. Let's do it. And last but definitely not least, he is the host, co-host of the Sox in the Basement podcast. He resides on the South Side. He co-hosts that podcast with his buddy, attorney Ed. It's 30 minutes of good, 30 minutes of White Sox baseball. Mm-hmm. He broadcasts out of his basement on a nine-hole bar, if I got that uh, logo correct, <laughs> that slogan <laughs> correct. He is the one, the only Mr. Chris Lanuti. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, guys. Yes, uh, there's a lot of slogans that I use, and uh, so <laughs> I, it's, hard to, it's hard to keep track of all of it. And, and I'm going to throw platitudes at Jordan as well. He's the most liked person in all of White Soxdom. Okay, look at how cute wow. he is. Wow. Yeah. Aww, sweet? <laughs> Aww, <that's so> nice. <laughs> See, I love going on podcasts with Chris. Every time I'm on his podcast, he gives me a nice uh, introduction, a nice compliment. It's like, I love going on just for those. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness, I love it. <laughs> All right, let's let's get it started. Of course, last season the White Sox reached the playoffs for the first time in 12 years before bowing out in the wild card series to the Oakland Athletics. Of course, this offseason brought uh, among many changes. Ricky Renteria, the manager, out. Tony Larusa in. New players were added, including Adam Eaton, Liam Hendricks, and Lance Lynn. Of course, we'll be remiss if we didn't lead off with this headline that Elo Jimenez, the star right fielder and star slugger, he is out originally five to six months, but according to a new report by John Heyman of The Athletic, Eloy could be out four to five months depending on his recovery time. Chris, I'll start with you. What do the White Sox do in left field in the short term? Do they go into free agency or when Adam Adam Engel, who's currently injured, when he gets back, do you plug him up in left field or do you go with uh, Leary Garcia? You know, I, I tend to feel like Leary would be better served being the first guy in 
in your infield, you have to think about the fact that the White Sox really only have him to back up second and short. Jake Lamb is reportedly making the team. He's only going to play third. I doubt he ever even backs up anybody at first base. You have so many other options that are there, but it reportedly he's going to end up being a member of the team. So then when I think about the outfield, Andrew Vaughn makes sense in the short term. That seems to be what they're going to do is put him in left and have Zach Collins and possibly Yerman Mercedes. It's something we talked about with Jordan recently. Uh, one of the ideas that we had was you could take a Mercedes and you could take a, a Collins, and depending on which type of pitcher you have up there, make a hybrid at DH and have Vaughn start out and left. But if it were up to me, Adam Engel would go out into left field the moment that he was available and he was healthy and he had that speed and that defense because you're never going to replace Aloy Jimenez's bat. And so instead of that, maybe cut down on the runs other teams can score. And you have an incredibly athletic outfield that can cover an awful lot of ground and make it very hard for things to get down in the gap or extra base hits. They're going to prevent an awful lot of runs if you have Eaton, Angle, and Luis Robert out there patrolling the outfield. And you can still get plenty of pop in this lineup. Plus, Angle's been showing over the last couple of years, he can hit and he improves yeah. every single year. Buzz? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way that Chris does. Uh, you know, if Adam Engel was healthy, he'd be my pick to go into left field. I'd much rather conserve Lurie to be in the infield, a backup option there. Um, I think we're going to see Andrew Vaughn in left field for the time being, as we saw in the last couple spring training games. Um, you know, you're not, and again, we're just kind of echoing Chris here because he hit all the points on the head. It's just, you know, you can't replace Eli Menace's bat. That's not going to happen. So, you know, until Adam Engel's healthy and ready to go, I think we see Andrew Vaughn over there. And I just think that's what it's going to be for right now. And again, that gives us a very good, solid defensive outfield. So it's the only thing you could really look forward to in this, uns you know, this terrible news that broke when Eloy got hurt. It's just, you can't really you know, fix it in any way, but that is probably the best option moving forward to be what is hopeful to be a competitive season for the White Sox. Jordan. Yeah, I think it's similar thoughts. It's, you know, Chris brought up a good point. It's shifting from run scoring and this high-powered offense that's going to hit their way to any win they want to, to now it's got to be all about run prevention. And how do you best maximize that? I think in the short term, I think still what makes sense is letting Andrew Vaughn try it out there. I wouldn't try it for more than a month, honestly. I think you're, you're putting yourself at a very high risk if you let what has now become a very important bat to your lineup run the risk of playing a position he's never played before. Um, Long-term, truthfully, with it being four to five months, Eloy will probably be back close to that four-month mark. And I, I think, truthfully, with that news, the Sox are going to stick with what they have internally, at least at first, see what works. Um, I had pitched recently, hey, maybe get someone like Mitch Hanniger, someone who could be here this year and next year. Um, but at the same time, if it's only four months, I could see it very well being your – free or your July deadline edition ends up being Eloy Jimenez back to the lineup. Um, I don't know if the Sox will end up rocking the boat like that. So similar thoughts to what Chris was saying and even Buzz too, shift from run scoring to run prevention in that spot. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I think Zach Collins deserves a spot though to at least start. And if after a month we're like, hey, this isn't working because the Sox have a fairly easy schedule in March or excuse me, in April. If, if it's not working early on, now you really shift, all right, Adam Angle's got to play out there, Andrew Vaughn's got to DH, and we're not moving past that. 
the great thing is that they have a lot of flexibility there so they can kind of mm-hmm. you know take guys in and out you know just you know just in case if someone doesn't work they can always put plug someone else in who can kind of hold down the fort until Eloy can come back and Eloy to DH that, that's all I'm gonna we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit but um <laughs> let's let's go to Pidgey for a second because you got to think that you know they got a pretty good you know starting pitcher. you got Giolito you got you got Keuchel you got Lansley who they just who they picked up you know, you kind of put Dylan Cease in there, you know, may- maybe Rodon, maybe Kopech, you know, if he can kind of, you know, get right. So, Buzz, I'll start with you about the, you know, that back end of that rotation. That kind of concerns me a little, just a little bit. Um, I might be one of the only people, I, I don't know if Jordan's going to side with me on this one. We've talked about it in the past, but I am a Carlos Rodon guy. I think that if he could stay, <laughs> um, I think he's a decent pitcher. I think that, you know, he's got really good stuff. And I'm not trying to echo Steve Stone here, so please don't take it that way. But um, yeah. I think that Rodon's got good stuff, and I, I'm okay with him being uh, in that fifth, fourth spot. It's going to be the fifth spot. Cease is going to be the fourth. Yeah. Part, I believe in this rotation. Uh, as far as Kopech goes, he's going to be on an innings limit, and they're going to want him all year. So I don't really see him – I mean, he might get a spot start here and there or something like that, but I don't – I see him coming out of the bullpen like a one-two with Crochet, which is something that we've talked about before as well. You know, high heat guys, one throws from right, one throws from left. I think that's something that you'll see. I'm actually – I like Brett with the pitching. Of course, we could have went and added something, you know, whether that's a trade or whatever, but that didn't happen. But where we sit right now, I'm comfortable with it. I think we have one of the best, if not the best, bullpens in all of baseball. I'll put the American League thing, you know, to the side. I think that we have one of the best bullpens in baseball. And I'm comfortable with the three-headed monster in Giolito, Keuchel, and Lance Lynn. And you have – two high upside guys that are right behind them. So it would cease and wrote on. So I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I think that the pitching will be, you know, there might be struggles here and there, but I, I really don't think that's a, a huge issue. I think that's actually one of our strong suits personally. Jordan. When you watch spring training games, it's very. At the same time, when you're watching some of the spring training games for the Sox, especially on the pitching side, and especially when Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon have been starting, they look like different pitchers. What are some of your concerns in recent years with Dylan Cease? Fastball command being the main one there. Carlos Rodon, similar story. These guys look like they're commanding the fastball. Now, the results are also there, which is kind of nice. But when you watch Dylan Cease outing, it's not every other fastball is missing five feet above the batter's head. Like, like seeing that sort of progress – compounded with the fact that he just has such good stuff. It, it makes you feel better about him out of the fourth spot. And Rodon in the fifth has been, or the fifth spot has been excellent this spring, both with stuff and in results. And when you pair it with the bullpen, like Buzz is saying, even if Rodon and Cease only see marginal improvements over last season, all you got to do is get through five innings with this bullpen. I, I think when you factor in that Crochet can go multiple innings, when Kopech can go multiple innings, and Kopech might be starting at some point this year. Uh, along with guys in the minors like Jonathan Stever, as an example, there's depth there. Could we have signed another arm? Absolutely. I don't think there's anything wrong with adding arms. But at the same time, the Sox are still in a very weird position where you still have to see the fruits of your rebuild. Dylan Cease is someone you got to see those fruits. You've got to make a spot for him. Carlos Rodon is about $7 million cheaper than a five-starter was going for on the market. So you had to play – with the money you had, what was available, and what you still wanted to see. 
And even with Rodon, it's an easy replacement with Kopech. So I think it all kind of worked out in a way that the Sox built depth in a way such that if you get through five innings, you should be fine. And Chris? Well, you know, I, I do worry about the back end of the rotation a little bit because I'm always encouraged by spring training. But whenever somebody does bad in spring training, we're told, don't worry, it's just spring training. And then when somebody does good, it's like, that guy looks awesome now. He's going to have the greatest season of his career. Like, we always want to drink the spring training Kool-Aid. Uh, I am encouraged, though, by what I'm seeing in terms of the control that Cease is showing and the fact that Rodan at least has been explaining to people he's using his lower body more, he's getting better results. He, he also kind of has a tendency to not finish a season and go on the DL at least at some point. And so it does worry me a little bit with the depth at the back end of the rotation. We do, as Buzz said, have the best relief staff in the majors. He, he's right. It, it, I, this, and, and it's being rated by like national writers all, all over the place. I read yet another article about how great the relief staff is. So it's not just us being like homers talking about it. They're incredible. And they're stacked in that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do believe that there's a strong possibility that Carlos Rodan could end up injured or revert back to some of the things that he's dealt with. I'm hoping he doesn't. I hope that the whole starting five is strong, but there's a real chance that they're limiting Kopech's innings so that in the second half, if there's an injury or a regression, he will eventually break into the starting rotation. I don't think that's the case for Crochet. I think he is somebody that they're earmarking to eventually make a starter, maybe even in 2022. But right now, I think that Kopech, if it's in the second half of the season, you might see him moved in depending on how his arm's feeling, his inning loads innings load has been handled. He's a possibility, I think, in the second half. You're listening to our 2021 White Sox preview show presented to you by Second City Sports and War Media, along with Lakina McGee. I am Sidney Brown. We're joined by illustrious panel Chris Lanuti, Jordan Lazowski, and Brad Buzz Squires. Guys, let's uh, go to the offense. Even without Eloy Jimenez, this team is expected to still score a lot of runs. Uh, one player I want to ask you guys about in particular is Yonhan Makata. He had COVID last year before the, the before the start of the, uh, of the 60 game season. He struggled through most of that most of that year. He's expected to have a, a, a breakout season, according to many experts. Jordan, I'll start with you. What do you expect out of Yonhan Makata this year? Do you think he's a legitimate MVP candidate? I think if there's any player, if you put on a a tag on anybody and say, I need this guy to have an MVP type season, I think you could easily make the argument that Yohan Moncada is the biggest one. You know, we've seen a bad 2018 and 2018 was, oh, it's his first season. And that was valid because in 2019, he comes around and has a really good sophomore season, like really good season. 2020, he deals with COVID issues. So we're seeing that we still haven't either seen the full Yohan Moncada or we have, and 2019 is the outlier rather than, um, rather than what he is actually going to be. <laughs> Does he have the ability, and especially based on how he looks in spring training, to have an MVP-type season? Absolutely. I don't think there's any doubt that Yon Moncada has the skills. It's putting it all together, and especially for him, staying on the field. I think those are two issues that if you can get 150 games out of Yon Moncada, he's your team MVP on the offense. because. With, with his ceiling, with his skills, I, I don't think there's any way the Sox have a really great season without Yohan Moncada being a central piece of that. Chris? Well, first off, I really like the idea that Larusa seems to be leaning towards putting Moncada in the four spot. 
because, and this has been floated out there by other people. It's, it's nothing new. He, he's a very smart baseball player who understands that when he's at the top of the order in the two spot, his job is to set the table. And he's got an incredible eye. He's got a great batter's eye. In fact, it, it, it actually hurt him so much in his rookie year. You know, that was one of the reasons he was having so much trouble. The umpires didn't trust his eye, and he was probably right most of the time, and he's getting called out on a, on a, on a called third strike. Yeah. I, I think that knowing he's setting the table, he lays off some pitches that are RBIs. He lays off some pitches that he can drive because he's trying to put the ball in a certain area of the field. He's trying to get on base. He's, try, he's approaching the plate differently. Mm-hmm. I think with him in the four spot, you might see Yoan Moncada's best year. I believe in 2019, Yoan Moncada, more than I believe in, you know, getting used to things on a rebuilding team with not a lot of protection around you, which was 2018, and suffering from COVID-19, which, you know, we're seeing that there are really weird ailments that people get out of it. Like some people are asymptomatic and some people, their legs don't work for six months. He was one of those people whose legs didn't seem to work the way that he was accustomed to them working. That means an awful lot, especially when you're up at the plate, you're trying to produce and trying to be out there for your teammates every day. I, I expect a big year out of him, and I think he could be the MVP of this team. Buzz? Kind of echo what Chris and Jordan said. I, uh, going to what Jordan said, we need to him, him to have a huge year this year to be truly competitive. We want to see him kind of pick up where he left off in 2019 because as 2020 happened and he got COVID and he was out for that little bit. Ricky Renteria said it. He said it in interviews. He just didn't feel like himself. And there's like a game against, I want to say it was Detroit, where he had a, he uh, scored from first and there was a shot in the dugout after that happened to Ricky Renteria trying to fan him off and you just saw him heavily breathing. I mean, just completely out of it. And that's an effect that none of us would have guessed for, you know, what is he, 24 years old? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for a 25-year-old to deal with, 24 at the time. And it was just an effect of COVID that no one was familiar with and how that could really take the wind out of your sail. Um, this year, I'm looking for big things from him, and I think he can produce. He's great in the batter's box, good defensively. He can drive the ball. He can hit for power. He can do all of that stuff. I'm looking for a big year out of him, and I think that he can produce that. And quite frankly, the White Sox need him to produce that. I'm expecting – a build on 2019 compared to 2020 because of what he had to deal with, with COVID. So I'm, I'm hoping that he can just build off of that successful 2019 year where he finished. I mean, gosh, I think he finished. Yeah. He was, he had some MVP. He was uh, 21 in that, but I mean, 315, 367, he had 25 home runs, had almost 80 RBI. I think that we're going to see that more. You're probably going to see that produce even more now that he's going to be in a cleanup position. If you yeah. that fourth. So that's what I'm looking for. And he should have, you know, better numbers because, you know, his health and the fact that he'll be in the cleanup spot. So hopefully that helps as well. I want to talk about someone else for a second. So this time in the infield, Tim Anderson, you know, 322 batting average, you know, in the top 10, you know, only had 10 home runs. I think he'll be the first to tell you that he didn't have his best season last year, but I think you can kind of forgive him considering the circumstances. So what do you expect from Tim Anderson this season? Chris, I'll start with you. Uh, Tim Anderson is a stud. He's a very good baseball player and he just continues to improve. And he's uh, become one of, if not my favorite players on this team. And I, I'm doing the, uh, the humble pie 
tour. Every time mm-hmm. I talk about him, I constantly bring up that I was wrong three years ago when I looked at Tim Anderson and said, this guy's got terrible defense and he doesn't produce at the plate. And unless he's going to start hitting 330 every year, he's not going to be worth anything. And he's never hitting 330. <laughs> then the guy goes out and he, and he has, uh, you know, he wins a batting title and he probably could have won one last year in a full season because he was right there. And he, he just, you know, he, he's got so much heart. I think he's the uh, the heart and soul in a lot of ways of that team, even though they always, they go to Abreu, he's the father figure, but the swagger, uh, the, just the, the moxie of the team comes from TA, and he is 100% in. I mean, here, here's a guy who's not from Chicago, who now lives in Chicago, who's active in Chicago, and then all you hear about him is he's just constantly working. He's trying to get better on defense. He's trying to even get better, you know, at the plate. That's the kind of guy I want on my team and him up at the top of the order and the respect he's commanded at this point where there are other viable guys that you could make a claim like, hey, T.A. might work better in the middle of the order. Now, that's his spot. He's the leadoff guy. Uh, I expect him to have a good season. And again, just like Moncada, just like all these guys we're talking about, like drop offs occur you really don't want to see one out of a guy like Moncada where he's back to what he was in 2020. And you're, you really don't want to see any real drop off from Tim Anderson. I don't expect it though. I think that TA is what we see now. I think we've gotten a good sample size from him and he's slowly or maybe quickly becoming one of the best shortstops in baseball. Buzz. Pretty much echo everything that he said, except I, I was always a Tim guy. I don't really buy jerseys off just because I always feel weird because they're all younger than me. And, uh, you know, but it, it's, it is what it is. But I, I like Tim Anderson a lot. I think that what you see is what you get with him. I think that he's the face of the team. Um, I think that he just everything, how he carries himself, how he plays the game. I, I love Tim. All I want to see out of Tim is making those routine plays. Cause I know he can do the athletic ones where he usually will be able to throw the runner out at first, but it's the routine defensive plays that I want to see out of him. And if he could put that together with what he does in the batter's box, I mean, look what he's doing without doing that. MVP votes, you know, all this awesome stuff that he constantly does. If he could put that defensive aspect of it all together, you have a superstar, bonafide superstar all around. So, and I expect to see that out of Tim because he works to get better and he's improved every year he's been in the league. And Jordan? When you, now I'm a very animal Henderson. And they go, how in the world does a guy with a 2% walk rate, that's an exaggeration, but for a guy who doesn't walk, how is he so freaking good? And it blows people's minds. It really does. It's absolutely absurd. And every season, people sit there and tell you, there's no way he can do it again. There's no way he can do it again. And then he goes out and does it again. And the incredible thing is what Chris and Buzz are saying. He's just such a hard worker, and you see I think the real shift for me for field consistently that's something doing this he's taking pitches and taking what pitchers give him and working with it that's a sign of a true ball player a true hitter and and, and you're not going to be able to figure that out in terms of analytics if you're not watching those games and you're not watching those at-bats what I expect from Tim Anderson is what I've seen the past two years he's going to give you quality at-bats out of the top of the lineup he's going to be the guy in the clubhouse who's keeping this team together in the tough days in August and September and October. And certainly on the field, yeah, like Chris and Buzz were saying, I'd like to see a little bit of a step up on defense, but, but I don't see any reason why 
Tim Anderson doesn't have another season like the past two. And I can't wait for a third straight season to come now where he hits like this. And now the analytics community has got to be like, well, three years worth of data is a good sample size. He might actually be good. That's what I'm waiting for this year out of Tim Anderson. <laughs> We're headed down the home stretch. We're at the halfway point of our 2021 Chicago White Sox preview show presented to you by Sega City Sports and War Media, along with Lakina McGee, which is she. I am Sydney Brown, which is me. We're joined by illustrious panel and Chris Lanuni. Jordan Lazowski and Brad Boyd Squires. Let's uh, head to the catcher's position for the White Sox. Yasmani Grandal was signed last offseason uh, to be the backup catcher to James McCann. Now James McCann is in New York with the Mets via free agency. Now Grandal will be the main catcher. I want to start with you, Chris. What kind of year do you expect uh, Grandal to have? And uh, uh, what kind of pressure is he feeling that he has to control this uh, uh, control this uh he's ahead of this pitching staff now one through five it looks great on paper well i i think that uh what you said is something that there are some white Sox fans that that saw it that way like because james mccann had come off of such a great season but mm-hmm. i've always looked at yasmani grandal as he was brought in because he was the number one yasmani grandal is one of the best catchers of baseball he he if I had to have an argument with somebody over who are the best catchers, the first two names we would start bringing up are JT Riomoto and Yasmani Grandal. And White Sox fans, you know, I think they saw that sample size from a McCann that he hadn't done in a long time. Grandal's been doing that for a long time. And he also is a great framer, knows how to deal with uh, pitchers, and I think is not only an asset to the pitchers, but he's an asset to a guy like Zach Collins, who I'm very excited is backing up. Grandal now the two of them do have a little bit of a history together they both came out of the same college if I'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. they both had worked with each other before they ended up in the same uh in the same organization so I I think he's a big benefit The, the only thing is how many games will he will he play a catcher this year and then how many more can you tack on where he's either standing over at first base or DHing where you get him into the lineup I think he's important in your lineup I think the more games they get out of him, the more the team benefits from what he does. But he's going to frustrate White Sox fans who just look at batting average and don't look at the intangibles as to what he does not only behind the play, but getting on base, moving guys over, and in big moments coming up and getting a big hit. He's a vet, and we're lucky to have him behind the plate. Jordan? Yeah, I I mean, when you look at Yasmin and Grandel, I have never experienced a a player who I feel is so clearly a top catcher in baseball be so controversial for White Sox fans. I, 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 when you look at the value that the Sox number one, historically I've got out of catcher and, and number to the league historically gets out of catchers. Well, yes, Monty Grandal. everyone else falls in below in his offense is leagues above anything you're going to get from any other cat. Pitch framing is not just on strike three calls that you get that you shouldn't. It's getting the strike one call that sets up strike two or in a one and one count, the difference between going from two and one and one and two. Those are the things you don't necessarily see as often as a fan that make all the difference. Every pitcher needs a guy who is going to get them calls at the end of the day. And then when you talk about a guy who just hones his craft, knows what he's doing, the, the stories that have come out about Yasmani Grandal and how he prepares himself, that's not just a good 
lesson for guys across the infield to sack catcher. Like, yes, Monty Grant out. In baseball again this year. He's just got to stay on the field, stay healthy, and you're going to get that production out of him. Buzz? Yeah, I pretty much echo those statements. Last year was a uh, was a fun White Sox Twitter year of who is better, Yasmani <laughs> or James McCann. Um, you know, and James McCann had <laughs> two years here, you know, and there's no doubt about it. You know, him and Giolito had a, uh, a great relationship. He caught a game, obviously, he caught a no-hitter for Lucas Giolito. He was an all-star for the first time in his career here in Chicago. He had a great a great little two-year stint here. But when you bring in Yasmani Grandal, there's a lot of things that fans don't see. And, and just speaking from personal experience, somebody like my old man who looks at, you know, batting average or home runs or ribbies, whatever, you know, he doesn't realize that Yaz walks a lot. His on-base percentage is always high. You know, he, he can hit for power here and there. You know, I mean, he's a very good player. And then behind the plate, he's top two in, in defensive catchers in the MLB. Like Chris had pointed out earlier, I, I'm looking towards big things. And I'm also looking towards his relationship with Zach Collins and how that might help Zach Collins moving forward. But having him behind the plate to catch our pitchers and help get them the calls and do what he does with his pitch framing, that's a huge, huge asset to this pitching staff that not a lot of people talk about. And I think he's going to be fine. I mean, he's a vet. He's been here before. He's been there before. He knows what he's doing. And I feel comfortable riding into the season with him being our primary catcher. And if I can add on real quick to what Buzz just said, the, the other thing is I, I think we all kind of missed it, but there's been this, this narrative that I've heard from people that somehow because James McCann is gone, Lucas Giolito won't be as good because he throws – because he always throws at James McCann. That's ridiculous. That's not – it's like a made-up figment of people's imaginations. Lucas Giolito is an ace. Yasmani Grandal is a great catcher. There's no way that somehow because – you know, the, the magic of James McCann is gone, that it's going to affect Lucas Giolito in any way. And every time Giolito throws a McCann, they will continue to get more comfortable with each other. They've been looking just fine together in spring training. It's nothing to worry about. It's going to be very interesting, though, to see, because I, I, I'm, I'm dying to see what, how Grandal looks. are going to get, like, a, a somewhat full season with him. So I'm looking forward to that. So let's talk about the AL Central as a whole for a second. You got to think that, you know, we're not worried about Detroit or KC because they're rebuilding, so we'll worry about them. The Indians, you got to think that Terry Francona will have his guys, you know, ready for a fight, you know, even though they got, they lost a lot of guys. Minnesota is probably the White Sox are sort of like top contender for that division. How do you think Minnesota measures up to the White Sox? Uh, Jordan, I'll start with you. I think with Minnesota, with Eloy going down, Minnesota is probably the top team in this division right now. Um, I, I, I think the wins you're going to lose from losing Eloy are going to be hard to make up from anyone else in this lineup. And that just is what it is. It doesn't mean the Sox aren't a very good team. It doesn't mean the Sox aren't a playoff team. I think they are a top five team in the American League. At the same time, it's going to be a dogfight with um, Minnesota all year. And I think that'll put the test on how good is this pitching staff how deep is this pitching staff and how good is this offense, this very young offense? And I think when you put those things together, do they probably finish a couple games behind Minnesota? Yes. But at the same time, is this a team that is built for short series in the playoffs when you only need your starters to go five innings? Absolutely. 
I think one team to watch out for that I think is going to be a little bit of a pain is going to be Kansas City. Um, I, I like what they did this year. I, I really like some of the additions they've made. I think they're going to be an absolute pain. Um, but at the same time, I don't see why there's any reason why the Sox can't be a, a um, playoff team this year. If they're, if they're healthy and their players do what we think they can, there should be no reason they're not in the playoffs. Buzz? kind of echo the same thing. I, I, I don't mean to be like that, but I, I kind of echo the same thing. Mm-hmm. says, um, even though I can't give any dab to Minnesota because I hate them because I'm a homer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I just oh got to throw that out there real quick. Um, but, yeah, no, Minnesota's dangerous. Good, good pitching staff. Their lineup can be very dangerous. I mean, you know, they're, they've been on top for a while, and it is what it is. You know, the Sox have to go and take that crown, which I'm – hopeful they can do and like I said you know that we're on this podcast and you know I want to sound as intelligent as I possibly can I just won't say they're gonna suck because it's Minnesota and I don't care about Minnesota I'm not <laughs> you know I um I, I will say that the Sox do need to be weary of that they need to play good baseball they need to be consistent all year and I think that's a big reason why you brought in somebody like TLR to come here to you know to try to push this forward and you know somebody they believe that'll make the right calls not only and the players play the game obviously but the manager also in my opinion still does play a a vital part in in this and I think that's why he's here um and then you guys got to watch out for Detroit I know Jordan mentioned Detroit but they got no more Mazzara now and I heard he can hit 500 foot bombs so (laughs) be careful about Omar Mazzara on his revenge tour, guys, because he's going to come for the White Sox because they gave up on him in right field. So we need to be very, very careful, all right? But in all seriousness, I think the Sox will be okay. I really do. Um, I don't know if they'll necessarily have a better record than Minnesota. And as Jordan pointed out, losing Eloy, I, Jordan, you, I'm sure you could name the site, but there was – it could have been fan graphs that put it out. But with, with them losing Eloy, it was like – you know, a four game dip. Um, and obviously, you know, anything can change between now and then. And those are numbers. And I do take the numbers very seriously because of my friendship with Jordan. Now, um, as I mentioned, in our Zoom call we had the other day, I read a book because of Jordan about analytics, but um, you know, I, I'm not worried. I think the Sox have a good team. I think that they, uh, I think they're going to be competitive. And I think that anybody, this division is up for grabs. That's the most important thing. So it's going to be consistency and when a team catches their hot streak. And I think that'll put the Sox in prime position besides no more bizarre being in Detroit and probably killing us. So that's just (laughs) Chris. Well, first off, uh, Jordan stole like what I was going to say to sound really intelligent was that Kansas city looks like they're going to be really pesky this year. Like they did some, they've got an awful lot of guys poised for rebounds. They've got a lot of veterans that they brought in They're They're, they're going to annoy us so much. And, and I do think that that pitching staff in Cleveland is very good still. Uh, even on the back end, Tristan McKenzie, they're bringing him along, but he's a high prospect. They've, they, they're set up to also be a little difficult for White Sox bats. But in the end, I think it's still a two-team race. Uh, I think White Sox fans have this, this thing where we're, we, we hate the Twins, and I hate them. Trust me. I hate, I hate their guts. Um, but <laughs> we also feel somehow – like, it never works out for us. Twins are the ones that always get the breaks. Twins always whatever. Meanwhile, my best friend, or one of my best friends, he's, he's my, my firstborn's godfather. And that's how important he is to me. We were college roommates, and he is from Edina, Minnesota, in the suburbs of Minneapolis. And he's a huge 
Twins fan. We go to White Sox games, and I have to spend half the time telling people, hey, he's cool, because they just hate him, because he sits there with his Twins hat on, and they just don't want him in the stadium. And he has to do the same thing for me when I go up the target field. He feels the same way. His friends feel the same way. They are always second to the White Sox. I know that sounds weird to us to hear, but to them, we won a World Series in the last 20 years, and they haven't. Like that, to them, they're, we, we did a rebuild now that scares the bejesus out of them. And they are looking at us like, how the heck are we going to beat the White Sox? And so the amount of like trepidation of, I don't know, I don't want to say that the Sox are going to win because, you know, the pesky twins, trust me, they're doing the same thing on the other side. That's what makes us such an interesting rivalry that I think is going to get very heated with some great personalities on both sides. I think we're going to see some bat flips and bench clearing at some point during the season. And that's what I'm hoping for. And I'm picking the White Sox to win a division. Aloy gone. Yes. It costs you four games. This team's going to win. They are such a potent offense. They have such great pitching and they finally have, in my opinion, a solid manager. I, uh, Chris, think, I, I thought Ricky Renteria made too many mistakes before Tony LaRusso is going to do better. Uh, Chris, uh, I was going to jump ahead of you and say that um, the, uh, the, the White Sox uh, had that same momentum in 2000. They had that fight at Comiskey Park. Yes, I'm still calling it Comiskey <laughs> against the Detroit Tigers. Of course, that propelled that team to win the division in 2000 before uh, bowing out to the Seattle Mariners. Uh, we're heading down the home stretch with our guys here on our White Sox preview show. Chris Lanuti, Jordan Lazowski, and Brad uh, Squires, along with Lakina McGee. I am Sidney Brown. Guys, let's go back to that um, – pitching staff, starting pitching staff. Of course, in any successful season, you usually have one to two 20-game winners, and it looks like the White Sox are poised to, to have that with their starters. Jordan, I'll, I'll start with you. Will the White Sox have any 20-game winners? If so, how many? Who are they? Who would they be? I'm a huge Lucas Giolito fan, and I've been for a very long time. And if I don't say Lucas Giolito is a 20-game winner this year, I feel that I will be doing my whole shtick of being a huge Lucas Giolito fan a disservice. So I got to put his name out there. The rest of them, it really depends on how many game or how many innings they're going to go out and pitch. Is it going to be something where, at the first sign of trouble, Larusa turns the the bullpen? I don't know if he will. Um, It'll be something that we're going to have to see how he adapts to the game and the bullpen that he has. At the same time, if I'm going to pick one other 20-game winner, I'm going to go with Dylan Cease. I love Dylan Cease. I love his stuff. And if there's a second 20-game winner on the Sox, I would pick Dylan Cease. Chris? Uh, Giolito, if I had to pick one, I would say he's a 20-game winner. But I have to echo what Jordan said there. You don't know how bullpens are going to get used. And I think that one of the really interesting things about this season for every team in Major League Baseball is that pitchers went out and pitched in 60 games. And a pitcher that would normally get 200 innings might have gotten 60 or 70 innings last year. And so you have an entire league that remember when you would, you would hear about a guy that just got back from injury or had a shortened season and is, he only threw like 50 or 60 innings last year. How can you expect him to throw 200? The whole league's like that right now. So I think bullpens are going to get used so much. It's going to be very hard to have a lot of 20-game winners. Uh, but if, if it was a regular season and I had to pick a second guy, uh, I'd stick with Lance Lynn. He goes deep in the games. I think he's the second best pitcher on the staff, even though he's going to slot third. And I think Tony LaRusso is going to trust him because he's a Tony LaRusso guy. So he's going to have those little X factors to be able to go out and do it. But I would say 
realistically, Giolito's probably the only guy I would I would say, yeah, probably a 20-game winner this year. Buzz, what about you? Yeah, no, Giolito. I would Giolito. I would say that he'd probably be maybe the only 20-game winner, but I would also go along Chris's thought process of saying uh, Lance Slim because he goes deep in the games. He's a vet. He's not a very, you know, <clears throat> potent offensive team. So if he can keep the runs down and the offense can do what they got to do, I'd say him. I'd love to say Dylan Cease, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know being, in, you know, the fourth spot and depending on how many innings he pitches, if he can get the, you know, his walks under control and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's definitely possible. He does have really great stuff, but I would definitely say Giolito will definitely, I will not definitely, but if he was my pick for one, it'd be definitely mm-hmm. would be my pick. Well, let's talk offense for, for a bit here. Of course, you know, Jose Abreu got AL MVP, deservedly so. Um, do you, he's 34. I know some people say, you know, that will freak people out that he's 34 now, but you think he could keep up the MVP level, level this year? And if not, is anybody else on a team that could be AL MVP worthy? I'll, I'll start with Jordan. I've doubted Jose Abreu so many times in the past. If I sit here and say now's the time he's going to start regressing, I'm just going to sound like a broken record. He'll prove me wrong again. Um, Jose Abreu is such a professional, and I've come to realize I've underappreciated it. And There are several people on Twitter who have told me I've underappreciated it. It's really opened my eyes, honestly. Um, I don't see any reason why he doesn't continue to be Jose Abreu, the guy who's going to give you good at-bats, who's going to produce when you need him to. Is he going to annoy you at times with maybe some of the pitches he swings at or his approach in some situations? Probably. But it's come to the point where I feel like I've written him off before and I feel stupid for doing so, especially after an MVP season. I don't think there's any reason to write him off now. Buzz? Jordan, I need you to keep that same energy because, you know, I believe in the juju. So you, <laughs> you got to keep it the same way. Just keep, just keep doubting him. Like I had doubted Giolito, but right. You need to doubt Abreu. So I am right. And he does what he, what he keeps doing. No, he's a fine line, man. He keeps getting better. And I love it. Um, I love the fact that he won an MVP last year. I think that's a testament to the hard work that he puts in and the player that he is. Um, I have no doubts on Jose Abreu. I really don't. He seems as hungry as ever. And now, guys, I know we made the playoffs last year for the first time in his career, obviously the first time in 12 years for the White Sox, but now he is on a competitive team that is poised to possibly make a run here to do something worthy, you know, of significance. So I think that he's going to be fine. I think he's going to come out. I think he's going to give you what he always gives you. I honestly do. I can see 30 bombs and 100, 100 RBIs. That's what I can see out of him. He's going to hit for a decent average. He's going to get on base. That's what I see out of Jose Abreu, and that's what I'm really hoping for. And I have no reason to doubt the guy. I, I haven't in the past. I did, uh, but I will say I have doubted Lucas Giolito because Jordan deserves that little victory because he he took. Totally <laughs> <face laughs> um, so he deserves that victory. But uh, with Jose Abreu, I I think he's going to do just fine, and I think more fuel to the fire is added here when this team, the hype around it, and the talent on it, where you can actually make a run. I think he's going to be just fine. And Chris? You know, the funny thing about Jose Abreu is that he had never shown you, at least over, over the last couple of years, he was starting to show you something very different than what he was in 2020. He, he was showing you that maybe he should be further down the lineup uh, against uh, certain types of pitchers, that maybe he was starting to decline. And then all of a sudden he had a great team that got around him, and it's like it energized him. 
and he had this amazing season. And he, he, you know, I think that that remains. Is he going to be the MVP again? That's pretty difficult to to accomplish two years in a row. Uh, But I do think that he will have a a solid season. And as Buzz said, he's going to give you what you expect out of him. And that's really all the White Sox need out of him. You know, in the end, looking long-term at this team, eventually time will catch up to Jose Abreu. So enjoy him while you have him during this portion of the White Sox let's say championship window that could extend through the majority of this decade. He is going to be a part of it early on and you want to win with him now. And then eventually Andrew Vaughn will be standing over at first base, most likely. So this is, this may be the back end of his career, but he hasn't shown me anything that makes me think that he's just going to drop off a cliff all of a sudden or revert back to what he was in 18 and 19. I, I still think that he goes out there. He puts up good numbers. He's surrounded by good players and, nothing but good vibes, I, I, it'd be hard to bet against him. All right. Head, uh, last moment or two with our illustrious panel on our 2021 Chicago White Sox preview show. Chris Lanuti, Jordan Lazowski, and Brad Bruss Squires are alone for the ride, along with Lakina McGee. I am Sidney Brown. Last question from me, guys. Brad, I'll start with you. You referenced him uh, a few minutes ago. Tony LaRusso, he was brought in to guide this White Sox team to take them to the next level in uh, ultimately uh, lead this team to a World Series championship for the first time since 2005. Talk to us about his impact on the White Sox. What do you think his impact will be on this team this year? I'm hopeful it'll be good. I mean, from everything that we've seen so far, you know, I mean, obviously it's spring training and obviously, you know, they just got together earlier in the month. But everything I've seen so far, it seems like the players are rallying around him. Now, it's easy to say when you're not playing meaningful games, but – They've rallied around him. They like him a lot. He's been around baseball for a long time, though he had, this is a thing that people had, hadn't really realized when he was first hired. He has still been around baseball, even though he wasn't managing a team. He's still included in the, he was with the Angels in the front office. I mean, he has been around the game for a long time, and it's hard to bet against somebody like that. The only questions or qualms I had about him being hired is if that was their guy, that was their guy. And that's cool. Like, that's your prerogative. That's who you're going to hire. It's not my team. I, you know, I don't sign paychecks. But I really wish they would have done more of a due diligence to maybe find a diamond in the rough or something like that instead of just kind of, I felt like it was really tunnel vision. But with him being here now, third winningest manager, I believe, in baseball history. Am I correct on that? I think that one. Um, you know, he, he brings a level of stability. He brings everything to this team that they needed discipline, you know, and like Chris kind of mentioned before, you know, Ricky kind of being that guy, I think that everything that Ricky wasn't Tony can be. And that's what I'm hoping he can do at 76 years old. He still seems to have the love for the game. He still seems to have the love for the players. He's ready to go out there and compete and win. And I think that he truly believes in this team because why would you come out of a retirement when you already have that hall of fame ring on your finger? So I think that this is going to be a good season. He knows how to manage pitching. He knows how to manage a bullpen. He knows how to construct a lineup. We have a guy here that can also evaluate talent from being in the front office. And I'm, I'm comfortable riding into this season with him and hopefully for a couple seasons to come here with the White Sox winning baseball games, meaningful baseball games. Chris? I like the Tony La Russa hire in terms of what he brings to this team and but the thing is that originally I think an awful lot of White Sox fans and myself included were upset because we felt like the owner made the selection instead of the general manager and there's been an awful lot of little 
like notes and news and nuggets and things that have been said even that kind of suggest that's what happened. Uh, you know, that, that maybe, maybe Jerry talked to Tony before he talked to Rick and, and those things are, they're, they're out there and they exist. Um, so I think that was a justified concern because anybody who roots for a team has to sit there and say, wow, if they're this messed up internally, they're going to screw up this entire rebuild. But when you pull yourself back from that, you look at a Tony La Russa, the guy's a, a talent. He's a hall of famer baseball person, or I can't remember what he called himself, but he, it's true. It, it's true. He is, he is in the hall of fame. He is a good manager. He does know more about baseball than most of us have forgotten. I mean, he, he, this, He's a, he's a good manager. He's an older guy. I think he gets kind of a bad rap because he's old. Sparky Anderson was old. In fact, most of the managers when I was a kid were old. When I was in the 80s, everybody was old. Tony was the younger. <laughs> he, he was the Fair rarity enough, yeah. the first time around. When I was a kid, Tony LaRusso was the young guy, and everybody else was old. Now Tony's the old guy. If we were accepting of the old ball coaches back in, in the glory days of baseball, why can't Tony La Russa come in and, and do well? I think it's, it's unfair to say, well, he can't communicate with the players. He can communicate with the players. It's unfair to say that he doesn't know anything about sabermetrics. He's, he's actually been around that an awful lot. I, I think that Tony La Russa is going to surprise a lot of the naysayers about him. I think they're going to get out to a, a big jump in, in this season. I think they're going to succeed, and I think I'm going to win a lot of money because I've made a few drunken bets with people that said they won't make the playoffs because of Tony LaRusso. <laughs> my, form, my former co-host, who's no longer on the show, I'm going to win 100 bucks off of when the White Sox make the playoffs. Like, I mean, like, I, Tony, I believe in Tony LaRusso. I put too much money down now not to. <laughs> Last question for me. Uh, Lynn Casper, I think, shocked a lot of Chicago baseball fans when he made the jump from doing Cubs, which he had done for 16 years, over to the South Side, now doing White Sox games for ESPN 1000. And, you know, Chris, I'll start with you. Were you surprised by the move? And, and tell a White Sox fan what they can look forward to with him and DJ doing the radio side for the White Sox games. You know, I have, I have uh, strong opinions on uh, true broadcasters doing broadcasting. And that's not, first of all, I've met Ed Farmer. Ed Farmer's a great guy. And towards the end was doing a pretty solid job when he was in there. But it's a difficult thing for somebody to play the game and then come in and do the play-by-play. Uh, there are guys that are out there who are professionally trained and it's their craft and they're incredible at it. And I'm very excited that the White Sox have two very professional broadcasters now between Benetti on television and Casper on the radio. Uh, and, and you still have some solid color commentators who now can do the color commentating because the guy that's sitting next to them calling the game action is so good at what they do. And I you know, I was a little surprised by it, but when you read about his reason that radio is his first love, I, I'm a radio guy. I used to do radio. I, I, before I started doing podcasting, I used to do radio, and I, the painting of a picture is probably one of the more fun things to do, and it's also a very difficult thing to do. And if he's doing it because he loves doing it, and this gave him an opportunity to do radio play-by-play for a team – then I'm all for it. Len Casper is a great addition for the White Sox in terms of, you know, how they get out to more fans, the way that the game is going to be described. is going to be very enjoyable to listen to, and I, I'm looking forward to it. Buzz? Yeah, he wanted to jump on the train. It's cool. I dig it. No, I'm just kidding. I was, I was <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm joking. Um, no, he's, he's great. He's great at what he does. I liked Andy Mazur last year. Um, I, I don't know if you got to him last year. I thought he was really good with DJ. Um, you know, it was 
not, I mean, I'm upset to see him go, I, you know, uh, not be there anymore, but Len Casper's great. What he does is great, but you know, I, uh, I think he's a very knowledgeable in the game. He makes it enjoy, you know, an enjoying experience, listening to him as he calls the games. And I got to catch a couple of the spring training games he called on the radio well, on my way home from work. Cause you know, all the games started like three Oh five or whatever, two Oh five. And I have to listen to it on my drive home until I can get home and actually watch it if they're broadcasting it. So um, no, I really, really enjoy him. I think that he'll be great, but yeah, you know, I keep that same energy. He just wanted to hop on this gravy train and, and I, I don't blame him because the, uh, the North Siders are not, not a Cubs hater. I am a Cubs hater. They're going down. So yeah, he had to hop on. <laughs> Get a hop on the train that, that's riding. So I'm, I'm cool with it, man. Whatever he wanted to do. His first love is radio. Purge, I'm glad he gets to do it over here. <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> so I, I love Len Casper and I love Jason Benetti. And I think between the two of them, the White Sox are very fortunate to have both TV and radio so perfectly covered for however you want to listen to it. I'm just prepared for however many times during this year I'm going to be driving somewhere. I'm going to turn on the radio. I'm going to hear Len Kessler and be like, oh, I'm listening to the Cubs game. Change the radio and be like, wait a minute. He broadcasts for the Sox now. We're good. This is the right radio station. So I'm really looking forward to it, though. I've always liked him. Um, I thought he brought some cool aspects to the Cub broadcast that I'm interested to see how he does it for Sox radio. Jordan, I actually did that already. I hit the button in the car. <laughs> and I was like, what station are you on? I went to it all. <laughs> <laughs> He went from a thousand to six seventy, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I went yeah, down. I, I was like, no, wait, wait, that's not that's not their station. Thousands are. St- I'm so confused. I did the same thing. thing. <laughs> when I heard Len, I was like, dang it, and I went to go on the other chat. I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, okay, never mind. I got it. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> on that note, that puts a ball on our 2021 Chicago White Sox preview show. It should be a memorable season for us White Sox fans and experts on the South side and for opening day uh, on Thursday, April 8th against the Kansas City Wolves at 305, there'll be 20% capacity uh, for uh, White Sox fans to attend the games. Hopefully if the restrictions are loosened up later on this year, more White Sox fans like ourselves will be able to attend the games. I know Chris, uh, if you give us about 30 seconds, you did, uh, you had the opportunity to, to purchase uh, uh, tickets for opening day. I was there in 2019, my first opening day. It was tremendous. I know you're going to go. It's going to be different to start off this year. Give us about 30 seconds about uh, how did you go about the process of purchasing tickets for opening day? I thought their ticket uh, purchasing thing was actually really well put together. Uh, I think that the way that they set it up and the, the hierarchy of like, hey, how many season tickets do you buy and how long have you been with us? They, it seemed like they put that together very well and it was very easy for me to purchase them. And I think that when you start buying them, the only thing I could tell you is know how many people that you really want to go to the game because they already have the pods set up. So if you're like, I want to be in the lower deck, well, you might have to pick between a five-person pod and a two-person pod. And if you got three, you're either adding two new people or you're getting rid of like your cousin. You're like, you know what? You're not important enough to go to the game. Like I actually, I have, I have two older kids and I cut one of them out. Like I was like, well, it's a two person thing because I wanted to be in a lower deck. So then I convinced my daughter that it was better for her to wait till next week. Cause that's a night game. And since she's older, she'll, that's where I'm taking her. Cause she's a teenager. So she can stay up late. And I'll take her younger brother, the 13 year old. I'll take him, the younger guy who's still in grammar school to the day game. So I had to play some games there because I wasn't sitting in the upper deck and I can only get a two person pod. So get ready to make concessions and lie to your children. That's all I can tell you. This year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> now, on that note, they'll put a wrap on the uh, Chicago White Sox preview show presented to you by Sega City Sports and War Media. We'd like to thank our illustrious panel. We'll give them two thumbs up. Chris Lanuni of the Sox in the Basement podcast, Jordan Lazowski of Sox on 35th.com, and Brad Buzz Squires on, for On Tap Sportsnet. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us here today. We'd love to have you back on our program uh, when the season uh, get, gets going. Uh, hopefully the White Sox will have a successful season, and most importantly, hopefully they'll raise that World Series trophy for the first time since 2005. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us here today. Great job, and we look forward to having you guys on again. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Stay safe, guys. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Take care. Once again, the White Sox will start the season on Thursday, April 1st at 9 p.m. on the West Coast when they face Joe Men in the Anaheim Angels. Of course, the Sunday night game will be on ESPN. The Monday night game will be also be on ESPN the following day. Don't worry, Cubs fans, you Northsiders, Northsider fans, we got you. We also have yes. our special show for the 2021 Chicago Cubs. Will it be a playoff season for the Cubs, or will the rebuild start early? We have a, a illustrious panel for that as well, so you can catch uh, the, the Cubs, our Cubs preview show right here on YouTube at War Media, also on War on Anchor, or wherever you download your podcast. So it should be an exciting season on the south side. Lakina, close us out. All right. So, you know, enjoy the baseball season, everybody. Hopefully, mm -hmm. hopefully the White Sox will have a special season. There's a lot of buzz. Hopefully they can do it and hold down before, before Eloy can come. Eloy can come back. So for Sid, I'm Lakina. This is the Second City Sports, our White Sox preview. And you know what? We'll see you later this week. And enjoy the baseball, everybody. Go Sox. Till next time. Holla! Welcome to a special edition of Second City Sports Zoom style. All right, Zoom style. <laughs> <laughs> we we got we got to keep it going. <laughs> Along with Sydney Brown, which is he, I am Lakina Brown, which is me and she. You can follow me at Keenan McGee on the Twitter and at Keenan underscore McGee on the IG. You can follow yours truly on the Twitter and the Instagram at CK80. Once again, at CK80. That's S I D K I D eight zero. That's S I D K I D eight zero. You can also follow the show on we are real radio we are real radio.com at war media we get a lot of great shows in the scope with josh hicks among many others you can follow on you know facebook instagram twitter you know all the shows are there also we're on youtube we're you know we can look up all those shows all the previous episodes from our show you know it's it's live it's premiering and just you know like share subscribe and tell your friends Yes, do that, please. <laughs> <laughs> and we're unapologetically fun, as Sid would always say. And we're gonna have, actually going to be having a lot of fun here today in this special edition. This is our special Cubs preview. We got a couple you know, of great guests here. You know, we'll start with Brad Robinson, who is a radio news editor, also, does, also covers sports here in Chicago as well. Where can people follow you, Brad? Uh, Twitter, at Brad Robinson 8 and also someone who's been on Sid's other show, um, Dean Davis, also now that's, that's Davis. 
He is the, the writer for Real Cubs Insider, also Bears Insider. Well, we, we should do this again with the Bears at some point, you guys, because I'm sure, you know, we got a lot to say about the, lot to say about the Bears. But uh, he is Evan Altman. Evan, where can people find you on these social media fronts? There's only, uh, there's only one of me, so I do not have seven other people in front of me. So mine is just <laughs> at the Evan Altman. There's no, there's no number. I don't have to differentiate myself there. Um, you can also, you can find the, uh, the site itself. We have an account, uh, at Real Cubs Insider on Twitter, or you can find us on Facebook. Uh, and then we have a YouTube channel as well. So, uh, just search Cubs Insider and you're bound to find something out there. Get everything, get all your Cubs, you know, cool Cubs, you know, scoop and news right there. Um, so gentlemen, um, what, let's just start with the, you know, the basics here. Brad, I'll start with you. What are sort of like the real, real the real expectations for the Cubs this season, because you're seeing all, all these different things. You got Jack Peterson and they brought Jake Arrieta back into the fold, but yet they got a lot of young players. What are, what should be fans' real realistic expectations for them? Well, you know, I think this team is a lot more unpredictable than most of the teams we've seen over the past five or six years. You know, the, the pitching rotation is – uh, questionable at best. I mean, you know what you got with Kyle Hendricks. He's a legit ace. He's he's very, very good. But after that, it's a whole lot of question marks. You know, you don't have John Lester there anymore. You, you, you have a very different looking staff. And the bullpen has been a bit of a mess for a number of years now, and that really wasn't fixed either. So, you know, I like the way their lineup looks. I like what Jock Peterson is. Uh, I like the way he fits into this roster. Um, but that pitching, it's, it, they're going to go as far as that pitching takes them. Evan? Yeah, I, mean, I think I have to agree on a lot of those points. It, it does feel as though the lineup is more balanced than what we've seen the last few years. Uh, and, and that's something that has been noted by a lot of different people over the last few years, right? And, that, and even the Cubs themselves have said that. And I, I think there's, there's more contact. There's a little bit less swing and miss. Uh, but as Brad said, the, the, the staff, it feels very deep. Uh, but that also is kind of like there's there's not mu as much at the top end, right? I mean, Kyle Hendricks, I don't I don't want to defame him in any way, but the depth is is created by we don't have that top like that you Darvish where you're like okay I I guarantee you down a lineup every fifth day, you have a lot of guys who on their game can shut somebody down. Can you do that consistently? The starters all look really similar, and then you've got bullpen guys who are somewhat untested. So I think, yeah, can they be very good? Yes. Uh, will they, and can they do that consistently is really the key. Um, so, and I think it's going to be interesting to watch one way or the other. Like there is nothing dull about this team right now. Sid? You know what? It's for the, for the Cubs team this year, it's like open up a fortune cookie, hoping you find some, find some great news. And maybe you, you can overachieve a little bit, but I think it's it's the inevitable about uh, when when change is going to happen. Will it take place during the trade deadline on July 31st? I know we'll talk about that in depth as we go along. Will it happen there, or will it will it be delayed until uh, this off season, whenever that postseason run ends, or or the season ends with no playoff burst? So. It, I, I agree with both of you guys. It's kind of up in, in the air, but it, it should be a whole lot of fun. So, um, you, so some 
Cup fans may just have their ears and eyes covered already, but <laughs> but you know we just gotta have to wait and see how this team performs as they get out of the gates here to start the year. Yeah, you can remember our, our buddy Jason Pfeiffer, who's a big Cubs fan, guys. Like I can already picture him saying, "Okay, I'm I'm a you know I don't want to speak for him, but you know I think he's a little. I think he feels like the same way a lot of other Cubs fans feel. Like, okay, maybe they could they can stay for a wild card, maybe not, or maybe they could probably stay with the Cardinals, perhaps for the division, or maybe not. I mean, there's just so many variables and so many unanswered questions. But I guess, like you said, you know, like you guys said, I mean, this is probably going to be part of the fun. Is the fact that we just don't know. And, you know, so I think you got something. I got another question for the guys. Yeah, so I want to start with that starting rotation. It's been announced as of this recording that Cal Hendricks will be the opening, opening day starter. But as we all know, the changes were made to the starting rotation uh, in this offseason. Hugh Darvish was traded to San Diego. Of course, John Lester was not brought back. Uh, who replaced those guys. Uh, we'll start off with Jay Garrietta. Brad, I'll start with you. I'll just get this out the way now for Cubs fans. You're not getting 2015, the first half of 2016, <laughs> Jay, uh, Jay Garrietta. You're not getting that guy. What can fans expect realistically from Mr. Arietta in 2021, assuming that he stays healthy, if he could do that? Because that was his problem the last couple years in Philly. I mean, frankly, I can't believe they got that 2015-2016 version of Jake Harrietta because it was so outstanding. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. out of this world. Um, but, yeah, health is a big, big issue for him. He wasn't healthy in Philly, and it really showed in, in, his, uh, in his performance and his numbers. Now, you know, he's very comfortable in Chicago. He likes it here. Maybe that plays a little role in, in a little bit of a rebirth because, you know, these guys are human beings, and where they are matters, and, and – you know, comfort matters. So maybe they get a little bit of a boost there. But overall, I don't think you can really expect um, him to be a, a top line starter like he was last time with the Cubs. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, at his best at this point in his career, you're hoping he could be a legit like number three type. Um, <laughs> but you know, that kind of leaves you with with Hendricks and Davies, who are two very, very similar pitchers, kind of at the top of that rotation and you'd like to split them up with the guy that has different looking stuff and Jake is that so um you know there's hope that that he could rebound a bit but but it's not going to be to the level that Cy Young level that he was you know five years ago what do you think Evan yeah it's uh Arietta is an interesting case for me because I think the, the one thing we saw from him in addition to obviously being very very good right that that yeah. was at one point He's a very, very proud man. Um, and, and I think anybody has to, to get to this level of the game. You should have a certain level of confidence and, and even ego, if we want to call it that. But he's even, Ariad has even been kind of resistant to some change in the past. And I think he, he experienced his mortality in Philly. He understood very quickly. And there was, I think there was a reason he wanted to leave beyond money and everything else. I think Jake Arietta wanted to prove to the world that he was not a product of the Cubs. He was not a matter of whether it be Chris Basio or, or Joe Madden or anyone else. They didn't make him who he was. He made himself who he was. And so he yeah. could go prove that in Philly. Well, guess what? Uh, it didn't work out the way anybody thought it was going to. And I think he's maybe a little bit more open to some of the change. He's been very much a, you throw down in the zone, you locate the sinker low. Yeah. The Cubs as an organization are one of those that likes to throw the sinker high to elevate that a little bit more. If he's willing to maybe take some of those things, make a few changes to his repertoire, uh, I, th I think we'll see a different Jake Arrieta 
but one that's a lot better than what we've seen the last three years in Philly. And, and if he can do that, and again, I'm not saying he's going to change his entire repertoire, but if he could do that just a little bit and keep the control, because we saw that a little bit, that that slider that was working so well in 2015, once I restarted, realized, like, wait a minute, don't swing at it, because <laughs> like, it's going to carry <laughs> so far. The marble. Uh, and then we, we saw things kind of, you know, it, yeah. he, he, he didn't get the strikeouts and he walked a few more guys. So, uh, I, I, but I, I think he's that guy because otherwise we're looking at five righties, five guys who don't hit 95, the, the, assuming maybe Adbert Alzali is more of kind of a swing role. If we assume Alec Mills and Trevor Williams, there are, as Brad said, similar looks you get. And Arietta has the kind of stuff that's just a little bit different from those others. And, uh, and I, I think how they incorporate that, it's like the Tampa Bay's who have, you know, 12 different arm angles uh, from 12 different pitchers, all kinds of different stuff at you. With the Cubs, is going to be very small incremental differences and beating you by pitching, not just by pure stuff. Um, and, and that's the part where, again, it, it scares me a little bit because it really relies on execution to a great – they're not going to fool a lot of people, right? They've got to execute every day. And it's going to be those three – and it's – but it is also at the same time, I mean, to me, and I'm a big nerd for, for pitching and, and the intricacies of it. So I love hearing this stuff with Tommy Hadovy working with Trevor Williams on fixing this thing with this point or, you know, just a slightly different grip on the slider and how that gives a, a different look from what he's seen. So I, for one, I'm interested to see how they make it work. Uh, but I think Arietta is a huge part of that and his health will dictate a lot about what that rotation does. You know, by the way, Trevor Williams is a uh, is a candidate for a guy that could really take a step forward. We've seen him have yeah. a really good year in Pittsburgh before. He's got really good stuff. I mean, that's a guy who I think could surprise a lot of people in the Cubs rotation. Should be very interesting. Now, what about Jock Peterson, Evan? I'll start with you. I mean, he actually took less money to go to the Cubs instead of the White Sox. Sorry, Sid. But, uh, I mean, what, <laughs> how, how much of a big boost he can give to that lineup? You know, I, I'm really, I'm really high on Peterson, um, and, and I've, I've, I liked him back in the day. Like when he came up, and he was a hot shot rookie for the Dodgers. You know, he's in the, he's in the home run derby. Uh, he's, he's, he just comes across as one of those guys you, you kind of want to be around. Like he, and, it, and if, if anybody hasn't seen it, go back and, and just Google uh, it, Champ Peterson, Albert Pujols. Uh, Champ <laughs> is actually Jock's older brother. Uh, he has Down syndrome. And Albert Pujols has a daughter with Downs and, and has been very active in that. And so to, Champ Peterson to say he gets to watch his favorite player in the home run derby, and it's Albert Pujols and not his own brother. Um, and that, that moment was really cool. So I thought, well, th this guy seems like somebody who you'd kind of like to be around. And, and he just immediately came into camp and just has this energy. Um, and, and he, of course, these guys all want to be there. But, but when you choose, and, and we talked about that with Arietta. As Brad mentioned, I mean, Trevor Williams, Williams' dad grew up as a Cubs fan, was an usher, and I think like a peanut vendor or something at Wrigley Field when he was younger. And so you've got this idea where, where guys are there because they want to be, not because they're getting a paycheck, not because that was the only team that offered him a deal. And Peterson, I think the more I look at it, when you if you just look at the box score numbers, you'd be like, well, th this guy is Kyle Schwarber. He's the same. He's, they're lefty batters. They play left field similar home run numbers. They strike out kind of a lot. You know, they'll take their walks. But when you really dial into it, you say, well, 
You know, but Peterson's done a little bit better against right-handed pitchers in general, which is mostly what he's going to face. The NL Central has a lot more righties, not many lefties. Uh, so you eliminate some of the platoon. He hits high fastballs better. That's an area, and a lot, a lot of people don't want to believe this or, or want to think it's too incremental, but we talked before about this lineup. The Cubs have struggled. The Dodgers knew this in 2017. The Dodgers knew the Cubs struggled with high fastballs. They destroyed them with high fastballs. Peterson was part of that team. He knew that. We heard it from Brandon Morrow when he came over. Like, he, everybody knows. This. So, Peterson does better against that than Schwarber did. He's a better defensive player in left field. And every one of those outs, maybe it's only five or six outs over the course of the season that he makes that Schwarber wouldn't have. It's probably more than that, but let's just say it's that. But then that helps Ian Happ to be better in center, and that helps Jason Hayward to be better in right. And if you can eliminate one or two big hits – in one or two big games, that means the difference. Let's look back at 2018 when the Cubs lost game 163. Actually, they lost 162 to tie with the Brewers. They lost 163 to the Brewers. They lost the wild card to the Rockies. Had they scored one more run in any one of the previous 162 games to get a win instead of a loss, now you're talking about a team that gets a, a, a bypass the wild card. They win the division. That's a massive difference. So I know people want to say, well, what good does it do that he bats 10 points higher against these types of pitches or that he might get them a few more outs and left. That's the difference. One run in one game could be the difference that, uh, that splits that. And I think that's where Peterson can really elevate this lineup overall. Yeah. I think when we look at the two stat lines between Schwarber and Peterson, there are a lot of similarities, but, but the similarities end with those specific numbers, right? If you look at the overall game, Peterson's a guy, he, he was a very highly rated prospect coming up a natural center fielder. So naturally he has more range in the outfield. And like Evan said earlier, when you're talking about a pitching staff, that's going to rely on very heavily on contact that matters a huge deal. So that, that upgrade in left field just defensively is going to make a big difference. Peterson's faster. He's a better base runner. So that helps, uh, that helps offensively as well. And, you know, this is a guy who with the Dodgers, uh, he struggled in platoon situations, so they made him a platoon center fielder. But that's an organization that had remarkable depth. They didn't have to wait for him to develop. Now Peterson's in a situation where there's not going to be anyone pushing him from behind uh, as far as uh, cutting his playing time. The job is his. So he, he can, he can, we can really see how he develops because the Cubs are in a position where they can kind of allow it to happen. I, I'm very high on him. I think that was just a, a remarkable signing. Um, Cubs got really lucky with that one. Really lucky. You're listening to our 2021 Chicago Cubs preview show presented to you by Second City Sports and War Media, along with Lakina McGee, which is she. I am Sydney Byrne, which is me. We are joined by Brad Robinson and Evan Offman as we bring down the door siders. Fellas, let's stick with that pitching staff and go to the bullpen. Closer Craig Kimbrough has improved as spring training has gone along. Of course, last year, manager David Ross had the quick hook on him. He actually, Kimbrough actually improved a little bit toward the end of the season before their early exit in that wild card round against the the Miami Marlins, I should say. Evan, I'll start with you. Uh, what do you think uh, manager Ross's approach will be to Kimbrough this season? Do you think he'll give him a quick hook again this year, or do you think he'll stay with him, be patient with him, stay with him just a little bit longer? It depends on how the team is uh, playing, obviously. Yeah, I think there's a there's a few factors there, um, and one of which, as you alluded to, he has looked a lot better late. 
Um, but it was significantly better. I was out at spring training just for a brief period. And when I saw him pitch, he was at 94. He touched 95 maybe once, gave up a ton of hard contact. Craig Kimbrell cannot live in the mid-90s and, and be successful. That's just – it's not going to happen. He's got to have the velo up. And more than that, he's got to have the ride or rise, whichever one you – a ball, a ball physically cannot actually rise. So I always like to point that out. But to have that really tight backspin on a high fastball and to let it ride high in the zone – and that's the major difference we saw. When Kimbrell is working at his best, he's hitting the top of the zone with high 90s, and then he's dropping the curveball in and in the zone. What we saw a lot from him, especially last year and in an abbreviated, I guess both of his seasons with the Cubs have been abbreviated, but he was just piping fastballs down the middle way too often, and then the curve couldn't find the zone, and hitters could just sit back and just wait. And they knew that once he, they could sit dead red on a fastball, they knew it was coming right down the pipe, and they could drive it hard the other way or not any way they wanted really but uh if what we saw from him that last time he was out there touching 98 he was up at the top of the zone the curveball had bite if that's the Kimbrel we get and if and if it's repeatable and I think it scared me a little bit when David Ross came out a couple weeks ago now a week and a half or so and said they've already noticed some mechanical flaws they need to get him in the pitch lab to say about your closer that we are concerned about his mechanics and this is not a young guy, uh, although he's still only 32. I think a lot of us think about Craig Kimbrell as being this, like, 38, 39-year-old guy because he's been around forever. He's only 32. So we're not talking about a guy who should be all of a sudden dropping off by five, six miles an hour. I mean, he's got plenty of gas in the tank. Uh, it's just a matter of can he dial in the mechanics. We saw it the last eight games of last season, no walks, 13 strikeouts. If he can be that guy, they should give him all kinds of slack and only back off if they need to. Uh, but I do like what we've seen. If, if Rowan Wick gets healthy, we've seen some really good things so far from Jason Adam is a guy who I think we're going to see a lot of. Brandon Workman is a guy who's gotten saves for the Red Sox in the past. That's somebody else who can step in there. So the Cubs have, uh, and maybe even if you look at uh, Shelby Miller, there's another guy who Ross has used in kind of some one-inning situations they have a lot of veteran pitchers and a lot of guys who are maybe capable of picking up that slack. So I think when you're looking at that setup, sixth, seventh, eighth inning, they have plenty to back him up. So I, I think he'll get enough slack if he continues, but I'm not as concerned if we run into another situation like we've seen in the past where maybe things aren't as uh, pretty for him. Yeah, I agree with Evan on all of that. You know, with, with Kimbrell, a, a big key is if he is losing a little on the velocity or if, if he has games where that velocity isn't there, is he going to be able to make adjustments and find ways to get guys out uh, in, in another fashion? I mean, and, and that's the same story with Jake Arrieta or any veteran pitcher, really. You know, how, how do you get guys out when the speed of your fastball is dropping, right? So, I mean, if Kimbrell's up in the upper 90s, it's it shouldn't be a problem, but uh, – you know, it, you got to keep an eye on that because he's he's struggled to hit that level over the past couple seasons, and and there are other options. And again, you have the Cardinals, who are uh, a much different looking team than they were the last few years. So there's more competition in that division. So, you know, the Cubs can't really afford to to ride out bad bullpen losses like they like they've been in a position to do the last few seasons. 
So, you know, going with the, you know, going back to the hitting for a second, you know, David Bodie and Nico Horner, we saw flashes of them, especially with Horner last year, kind of tear off a little bit as the season went on. Do you think that, especially with Horner, can, you know, he kind of started, you know, get back to the stride that we saw early last year, last season? Well, he's looked mighty good in spring training so far, and he has bulked up a lot. He looks like a different guy, I mean, just physically. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if he can carry what he's doing this spring into the regular season, the Cubs have a pretty good second baseman situation. And Bodie, I mean, he's Bodie's a, a really nice, versatile player to have on your team. You can, he can come off the bench without any problem. He can play third base. He can play second base. You know, you can put him in different spots. Uh, he's a solid glove man. So uh, Bodie's more of that utility type guy, I think. And Nico really profiles as, as a decent starting second baseman. So you just hope that what we're seeing now isn't a spring training illusion. And, mm -hmm. and he really has, uh, you know, really is starting to develop the way the Cubs thought he would develop. Yeah, I, I still have my concerns about Horner, and, and I, and I want to be wrong about it. Uh, I'll say that right now, because uh, I, I know that he was called up when he was uh, as a result of, like, literally every other shortstop in the organization being hurt, uh, because he was a guy who dealt with a broken hand in 2019. He was never supposed to have been called up in the first place, but he was, and he, and he did really well. Uh, but as they admitted, a lot of that was because none of the pitchers knew him yet, and he was going out there being aggressive, just trying to jump on fastballs early. Don't get deep in the count. Don't let major league pitchers beat you. Jump on a fastball, go. Uh, and they, they wanted – he probably would have been sent down to begin the 2020 season had it been a normal year. It wasn't a normal year. They needed the most talented players they could get. He was up there, but he got exposed. Uh, again, working those deep counts. So, yet again, I wanted to see, can you get this guy some time in the minors, let him grind those out? He's kind of forcing the issue again, but as Brad said, you know, is this a matter of, again, you're facing a lot of spring training pitchers who are looking to locate fastballs early. You can be aggressive with that. You don't need to use a B-hack. And that once we get into the regular season and you stop seeing that when guys are breaking out, the really nasty stuff, when you're forced to work that five, six, seven pitch at bat and then fight off that slider away yeah. rather than watching somebody pump a fastball, that does give me pause. At the same time, this is a really intelligent baseball player. As Brad mentioned, I mean, look at the pictures of this guy. And he, he has to have added 15 to 20 pounds at least over. And he was already – he looked skinny early, but he was always a pretty muscular player. And I think, again, you're talking about somebody who's got professional development. So I love the ceiling for him. I am a little bit afraid of the floor, and I sincerely hope that he proves me wrong. Yeah, when looking at spring training numbers like this, it's always important to remember that pitchers in spring training are working on things that they would not bring into a regular Major League Baseball game until they're ready. I and mean, so, so much of it is experimental. And you have some rarefied air in, in, uh, in Arizona as well. So that kind of messes with numbers a little bit too. So it's really more about process than numbers. But when you put up numbers like Nico's put up so far and like Peterson has put up so far, it's hard to not look at them and say, well, that's encouraging. I want to ask you guys about Anthony Rilsa. We all know about Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, and Rilsa Contreras. They all want extensions. We'll get to those guys in a few minutes. But I want to start with you, Evan. Talk about the, the impact that Anthony Rilsa has had on this fr franchise. And do you think it's a good idea for, for Cubs management to give him an extension to help this franchise make a transition 
into the next next group that hopefully could be competitive in a in the short term in the coming years. Yeah, I think for for as much credit as John Lester gets, and, and rightfully so, uh, for for kind of ushering in a new era of Cubs baseball. Lester was a guy from the outside uh, who, again, he came in, he believed in what the Cubs were building, and that really signaled to the rest of the world that you know the Cubs are legit now. They're they're here. Obviously, Rizzo had been around for a while before that, but but he was kind of that guy. Again, he was the one, you know, Theo didn't regret letting him get away from Boston, but but Hoyer was the one who picked him up, and so you knew both of those guys wanted to bring it back around. And it was about more than just his talent because they're not putting a C on anybody's chest in, in Chicago yet on the north side, but mm-hmm. Rizzo would be the guy who wears it. Yeah. Rizzo is, I mean, and, and I think it's been cited many times before, but when he basically offered to go fight the entire Reds dugout in Cincinnati, like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> this guy, like, he's, you know, he'll put the team on his back, right? He will yeah. put the team behind him. To, come on, you know, get behind me. I will slug my way, uh, you know, again, whether it's with the bat or my fist, through anybody who's in our way, let's go. Um, and so from that, from the emotional standpoint, I think what he brings is something beyond the stats that can't really be quantified. And, and that's the kind of guy that you want to have, whether it's a transition to a new competitive window or, or just kind of as someone who defines what team it is. Um, as that guy, you can kind of to say, well, who are the Cubs? Okay, let's, it's, it's Rizzo. That's what he brings. And then we can kind of define the team from, from there on down. Um, <laughs> At the same time, you know, I think we've seen make some decisions so far that that kind of set motion to the side and say, you know what, uh, we don't we don't care. Like, hey, John Lester was beloved. Uh, we don't have enough money to re-sign him. Uh, you Darvish made himself into just a phenomenal character that everybody loved. We're going to trade him. Uh, and, and so I think from a business standpoint, do the Cubs feel they've got somebody who can replace him? But I think then at the end of the day is who do you have coming up? do you have another guy who could take over and play first base at that level? (laughs) Uh, Even without the leadership, uh, the answer to that is, is no. Um, And so I think for both sides, it would make a lot of sense for him to stay around because his value to the Cubs and and their value to him, I think would be greater uh, unless he were to say, and I know this has been out there with some of, you know, unless he said, Hey, I want to finish out my career close to home. I'm going to end up settling down again in Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. I'll go play for the Marlins and kind of be their captain for a few years at the end. I don't want to scare anybody, but I think that would be the only other, if I'm Anthony Rizzo, that's the only other possibility I would ever consider other than re-signing with the Cubs. But it it makes too much sense for both sides to make something work in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, when when Theo Epstein brought in Rizzo, that was kind of like the first piece of the rebuilding of you know, for a, for a championship caliber team. And he brought him in specifically to be the face of the franchise. And, and that's what Rizzo's become, right? He's beloved by fans, all the charity work he does. You know, I mean, it, it, the guy is Teflon in Chicago and, and he's earned that. And so I think if, if you're looking at um, what an extension would cost and the value to an organization, when you're talking about Anthony Rizzo, it's a different discussion than when you're talking about anybody else on that team. Because if there's going, going to be a, a statue outside of Wrigley Field commemorating that 2016 team, it's going to be Anthony Rizzo. He's yeah. the one who, who raised the flag. He's the one that carried the trophy out onto Wrigley Field after they won the championship, you know, the, the, on opening night the next mm-hmm. night. He is that guy, and they have made a great efforts to 
make sure everybody knows he's that guy. So I would think at some point they'll, they'll come to some kind of agreement. Um, I, I just don't see how they would be better apart than together. A few more minutes with Evan Altman and Brad Robinson here in our Cubs preview in our special edition of Second City Sports presented by War Media. Um, let's go to like the, the broadcast side for a second here, you guys. Um, Len Casper, after 16 years, leaves the Cubs TV booth, goes, you know, cross down to the White Sox. Bukshiami, you know, veteran, you know, ESPN guy, been covering baseball for, for years, calling baseball games. You know, for people, for the Cubs fans who haven't heard him and JD together, they sound great together so far. You know, they, they, sounded, they sound terrific. What can Cubs fans expect from, from Bukshiami? Because he's very, he's very open. He said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say stupid stuff. So I'll, I'll let you guys wrap it. I'll start with you, Brad. What can Cubs fans expect from a Bukshiami, Jim Deshaies booth? I mean, Boog is an absolute pro. He's one of the best in the business. Uh, he can get a little silly at times, which is great for baseball because there's a lot of time to, uh, to be a little less serious. You know, it's not like broadcasting a football game. Um, I, I think Boog is, is a really nice addition for the Cubs. It, it stinks that it's at the expense of Len because Len was an awesome fit with the Cubs and I loved listening to him. And I just... I like Len as a person. He's a really good dude. And I don't know Boog personally, but uh, Boog's good. I mean, he Cubs fans are really going to like him. Yeah. Okay. And it, yeah. I think, and I'm, I'm trying to, to struggle with how to say the but, but Boog gets it. Mm -hmm. if, that, if that makes it like he, he knows exactly what he's walking into. Um, he, he's not trying to be Len Casper. He's not trying to be anybody else. He is, who he is. Um, and we're talking about a guy who's got, and he and he and Casper actually worked together with the Marlins yeah. back in the day. And so they've known each other for a long time. Uh, Boog's done a ton of Cubs games with ESPN, but he's also covered basketball. He's covered several other sports. I mean, you're talking about a guy uh, who, who worked with, and I remember watching some of his broadcasts with, uh, with Bill Walton on uh, like the yeah. Maui Invitational college basketball. And we've seen, we've seen Jason Benetti on the South side work with Bill Walton. Um, yeah. So so you got to have like a certain degree of, of goofiness to be able to handle uh, Walton, but you've got to play the straight man to him as well. And to be able to kind of do all those things, I think is really interesting. And, and again, you're talking about a guy who's maybe, maybe a little less, uh, Len Casper was, uh, he was a little bit, he had that dry wit and, and a bit of that deadpan sarcasm at times. I think Shambi is a, is a little bit more animated in that regard. Uh, and so I think there are some differences there. But he definitely plays off JD really, really well, and, and I think we're going to have uh, fans are going to have a lot of fun with it. And uh, and I say just don't don't expect it to be this uh, dry series. You know, expect it to be entertaining. They're going to bring you something other than the game itself. Right. And uh, and if you enjoy that, then I think you're in for a really, really good time. As you guys know, April first is opening day against the Pittsburgh Pirates at Wrigley Field. Across Major League Baseball, uh, the capacity is between twenty and thirty five percent. Uh, for fans attending the games. Of course, here in Chicago, the Cubs will start first. Uh, they'll have just a shade over 8,000 fans at the friendly confines. I want to ask you both uh, this. Uh, how important is it for these teams to start making um, money from the, from the gates, even though we're slowly trying to get back to normalcy as more vaccines are starting to roll out? And when do you guys think we'll be at uh, full capacity? Will it be this summer? Will it be after the All-Star break? I'll start with you, Brad. Well, I'd expect full capacity maybe next year. I, you know, I, I, especially in Chicago where 
you know, the rules are a little more stringent than in other places in the country. So I, I don't think they're, they're eager to jump into, you know, just letting go of all, uh, of all the, the safety precautions. So I, I'd be surprised if it, we got to 100% this year. Um, as far as how important it is to the team to make money, I mean, you know, you're talking about uber billionaires that own these teams. It, it, <laughs> is it really important that they make money? Not that much because they have other ventures where they make a crap ton of money, right? But what it does is gives them less excuse if they're making more money to not spend money. So, you know, I, I think for the fans standpoint, that's a good thing if, if they don't, if they can't rely on that, Oh, there's no fans in the, in the stands so we can't buy players, you know, talking points. So that, that's a good thing for fans for that to be eliminated. So it'll be great when people are, are fans are allowed back. I don't think it's going to be for quite a while though. Yeah, I think, um, and I know that the Cubs have said uh, that they, they believe they can be at full capacity maybe by the end of the season. You know, how much of that is a – of course, they, they want to say that, right? They, they yeah. want to see that ramped up. And I, and I think, the you know, we've, we're seeing – I mean, Illinois is, is opening up very quickly to basically everybody who's eligible. Like, come on, let's get this done. And I know the numbers have been getting lower. Um, you know, we're seeing and, – and I think just as importantly as that, surrounding states, right, because – the Cubs don't only draw fans from Chicago, Illinois. The Cubs are a tourist attraction, for lack of a better term. And you're going to get a lot more people in there than just the 8,000 who are, who are scheduled to be able to be at the ballparks. There'll be people around. Um, but again, Indiana and Michigan and Wisconsin and surrounding states have also opened this up. So I think by the time we get to the summer, and we're talking about even teenagers and younger being able to get vaccinated, and we've got these numbers coming down, um, yeah, I think capacity will increase. Uh, I'm with Brad completely on the idea of teams needing to have fans there. I think that is, is more, a, it, it, more of it eliminating an excuse for owners to cut because, you know, as we've seen, just the, the prospect of it, as soon as we started hearing about uh, vaccines being approved and, and distribution, I mean, that, I don't think it's a shock that Jock Peterson's contract was announced the same day, the day after the Johnson Johnson information came out. Uh, that it was being approved, right? Because when you don't have those excuses anymore, you mm -hmm. kind of have to start spending some money. And, and, and that should be good for baseball as a whole um, because we, we got to get out of this biblical loss narrative that these owners are trying to believe. Because guess what? They didn't have expenses last year either. Right. They, they only had to pay like a third of the salaries that they owed to these players. And they didn't have to pay nearly as much overhead on the ballpark. So um, I, I'm in favor of it. But, 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 you know, here's the thing to me at the end of the day, I was, uh, again, I was out at spring training. Uh, first of all, it was awesome to be in a ballpark at only 20% capacity. Because there was no <laughs> line or anything. You didn't have to be around people if you didn't want to. It was great. Um, but how, how awesome will it be for, for us to be able to get back to the people who want to be out of the ballpark, be able to do that and to enjoy a hot dog and a beer in the summer in Chicago? There's nothing better than that. So I, I think just for, for everyone's sake, kind of from a, a general uh, just mental wellness. It'll be great for all players and fans and everyone to be able to enjoy that again, because uh, you know, whether the Cubs are good or not, I know there's a team on the South side that's supposed to be really, really good. And so that'll be the city of Chicago needs to be able to have fans at the ballpark this year. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, now guys, how do you think the Cubs measure up to the rest of the teams in the division? You think it's Cincy, you know, are they finally going to get over that hump and break through? You look at Milwaukee, they're kind of where the Cubs are. You don't know where they're going. Same with 
you know, Pittsburgh, you go in total rebuild. And St. Louis, you probably say they're, they're the favorites at the division, especially with the Aaron Allen trade. Well, how do you think the Cubs measure up to those teams in, in, the, in that division? Evan, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Milwaukee is a little bit weird because they're always that team who, you know, all right, should they be any good? We Everybody thinks they're going to kind of be in the middle of the pack. Uh, a lot of projections they have them finishing first, or at least uh, one of them, Pakoda does, which I find a, a little bit odd. Um, I don't know that Christian Yelich can continue to carry that team so much on his own. Um, you do have Locaine back, but but again, after missing a year, being a year older, what impact does that have? Their pitching staff is is constantly one that I think overachieves. I don't buy the Brewers in terms of 162 game season. Uh, the, the Pirates aren't even a major league baseball team. Uh, they're Triple A <laughs> at, at best, uh, you know, maybe. Um, and then you've got again the Reds. They're kind of that team that everybody thought was going to be on the come, and yet, you know, now you've lost your Cy Young winner. Uh, again, that pitching isn't very scary. I think their lineup could be tough, but it is to me. It's the Cubs and the Cardinals. Um, the Cardinals have more margin for error uh, when you have MVP candidates at the corners, but so do the Cubs. Um, you know, I think that's it's easy to look at the Cardinals and and they're kind of their shiny new toy, if you will, and, and Nolan Arenado. Uh, who actually, and I love this fact, they are paying Dexter Fowler more money to play for the Angels than they're paying Nolan Arenado to play for them, uh, the Cardinals, that is, because, you know, the Rockies just handed him $50 million and paid his <laughs> this year. But uh, that aside, you know, they've got – that's the shiny new toy. And, and Paul Goldschmidt was the shiny new toy before. But, I mean, the Cubs have got – look around that Cubs infield. You have legitimately – you have one MVP winner, an MVP second place finisher from a couple of years ago, Anthony Rizzo, who's frequently in the top five or ten, uh, the second base deal we talked about, Wilson Contreras, who everybody, I think, kind of keeps sleeping on, but is, is easily one of the best, if not the best, he and Real Muto catchers in the entire league. That infield alone is better top to bottom than I think you're going to find just about anywhere else outside of San Diego. The Cubs have a ton of talent. I think it's just – we're sleeping on them because they haven't really performed the last couple of years as we expected. So the Cubs play up to what they're capable of. There's no reason they can't be better than the Cardinals. However, I do think you've got some, some hungry players out there in St. Louis and, and their pitching staff could be legit as well with Jack Flaherty and some of the others. So it's going to be tough, but I think it comes down to those two teams. Yeah. The other thing you have with the Cardinals is Paul Goldschmidt is a year more settled in right? I mean, last year was such an odd season to begin with. And then you add to it the first time he's changed teams as a professional in a new city, everything else. Now you got him a little settled in and Paul Goldschmidt is another guy who is, you know, a perennial MVP candidate. So, uh, so I think the Cardinals are, are quite a bit better than the Cubs. However, uh, I think the Cubs, if, if they get a healthy Chris Bryant, a healthy and confident Chris Bryant back, that puts them much closer and uh, much more uh, with, with a much greater chance of competing against the Cardinals. But I think the Cardinals are here. The Cubs are here and everybody else is way down. I mean, the, the Reds, you know, they've got, they've got a decent looking lineup, but again, their pitching is a mess. They lost Trevor Bauer. Sonny Gray isn't, uh, isn't exactly healthy right now that yeah. the Reds are a mess. The mm -hmm. Pirates, like Evan said, I, they shouldn't even be in major league baseball anymore. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, they're an embarrassment, honest to God. You, you had a window with, with Andrew McCutcheon, and they didn't do anything, yeah. you know. And, and since then, it's mm -hmm. just been 
allowing the whole thing to crumble. So, I, yeah, Brewers are always tough, but I don't think they're on the same level as the Cubs or Cardinals. Final moment or two with Brad Robinson and Evan Offman as we preview the 2021 Chicago Cubs, courtesy of Second City Sports and Warm Media, along with Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. Last question from me, fellas. Uh, I'm going to address, uh, I avoided it, but let's address the <laughs> elephant in the room. No pun intended. Of course, Chris Bryant is coming in confident this year. He's due for an extension. Javi Baez, some people say he's the face of the franchise next to Anthony Rizzo. He's due for an extension. Catcher Wilson Contreras, who was rumored to be traded the last couple of seasons, he's still here. I'll start with you, Evan. Who stays, who goes? Oof. Uh, you know, I think um, just if we look at Javi and what he's said publicly, uh, we had a guy who actually had the season not been canceled when it was, he may have gotten an extension last spring. Uh, he was very close. They were in talks. Um, you know, it just, I think it was yesterday or a couple days ago, he said, you know, uh, I don't want to be one of those guys who goes to another team and comes back and the fans all hate him and, and they boo him. So, and, and he's also the only one who has said, I mean, Anthony Rizzo has specifically said, I don't want to work anything out once the season starts. If I can get something done, it needs to be during spring. Um, most players are like that. Javi has said, you know, I don't, I don't care. My agent's the one that works that out. He, he keeps talking with him during the season. So I, it feels like Javi understands as much as anyone and we're talking about a really stacked shortstop class yeah he's coming off a rough season does he want to go out and risk another maybe subpar year knowing there's a ton of other shortstops knowing how much value he's created in Chicago does he want to risk that and he and he's he's represented by the Wasserman group they've worked out extensions before they're the ones who represent Kyle Hendricks who signed a deal uh previously uh they actually represent Nolan Arenado who's you know, a sizable deal, but still he did sign an extension. So we're, we're looking at that. I don't think he wants to test free agency. I think he'd like to lock in. I think he's there. I think we mentioned Rizzo already. Contreras is a little bit different because he's got two years. Bryant has said all along, and, and this is the same thing I've been told internally, both on and off the record, that he absolutely wants to remain. However, I don't know how willing the Cubs are with him. It's going to come down to, and Brad mentioned this, is, is being healthy and confident. And the confidence is a big part of it. And knowing that he can have a no-trade clause, knowing that he's got the security of being in a place for a long time, but the Cubs notoriously don't like no trades. They yeah. don't like to add that in there. And I think it's going to be very difficult. It's not ex exclusively about the money with Bryant, but I think finding that agreement is going to be very tough there. Um, all of them would love to stay. It sure looks like the money is there for all of them to stay because none of these guys, the Cubs have n almost nothing if you look at the salaries beyond this year, there's a ton of room on the books. Oh, yeah. Um, a whole lot like, of room. Yeah, like more than there should be. So, um, Brian's probably the least likely to sign one, and I don't think that's about his camp at all. I just think it's about how those things work out. Um, but I'm a homer, man. I want them all to stay. So, <laughs> I'm, I'll, let, I'll let Brad be the, the – I'll let Brad be the harbinger of, of bad news. I'll, I'll let it all stay. Brad, Brad can be oh more honest God. about it. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, man, you sound like my wife now. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wife is a much smarter person than, uh, than, I, than I ever actually realized, if that's the case. Uh, I, I, I totally agree with everything you said. I think uh, there's no doubt that, that Bryant is, is the least likely of the bunch to sign an extension. Uh, Javi, you know, I, I – think that could get done. I, as we had talked about with Rizzo, 
you know, face of the franchise and everything and such a close relationship with, with ownership and the front office and everything. Um, Contreras, I think that just depends on how the next couple seasons go because he is so far away from free agency. But, but I do think, uh, like Evan said, there's, there's just so many other factors with Chris Bryant uh, that there don't seem to be with the other guys that I'd say he's, if the Cubs are struggling at, at the trade deadline and they're looking to unload, that's probably the guy that would be most likely to be, to be let go, I think. But, but again, you know, they could come out and have a, you know, gangbusters first half and, and, you know, might want to, you know, keep them around and, and the Cubs might want to add. Who knows? So much depends on how these first, you know, two months go. Oh, my gosh. This was so much fun, you guys. And we got to do this to you with the Bears. I'm sure this is probably going to be even more animated than it was today. <laughs> Thanks, to Brown. <laughs> Thanks to Brown. Your Zoom is out. Your Zoom is out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll say that till August. Um, thank you so much to Brad Robinson and Evan Altman. Uh, Brad, I'll start with you. Where can people find you on the Twitter and social media? Uh, can you find me at Brad Robinson 8. Evan? Uh, it's at D Evan Altman on Twitter. And you can find, uh, again, you can find Cubs Insider, my website at, uh, at Real Cubs Insider on Twitter, or just search, uh, search Facebook for Real Cubs in, or for Cubs Insider, or you can find us on YouTube as well. We're all over the place. Excellent. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us again. We got to do this again, you know, with the Bears because, look, I'm sure, like I said, it's probably going to be even more animated. So you got to wait till August for that, folks. But uh, thank you guys and enjoy the, the you know, Cubs baseball. Hopefully, we'll have something to celebrate. Absolutely. Sounds good to me. Thanks a lot for having us. Thank you. All right, guys. All right. All right take care. <laughs> All right. See you later, guys. You guys be safe. All right. Thank you. All right, once again, the Chicago Cubs open up their season on Thursday, April 1st at 1.10 p.m. in their home opener against the Pittsburgh Pirates. For you Southside fans, we haven't forgotten about you. Our 2021 Chicago White Sox preview will be coming soon. You can find it right here on YouTube at War Media at WARR Media. And you can find it also on War on Anchor, which kicks you over to Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. Type in that search engine box on all podcast platforms. W-A-R-R on Anchor. Right. Like and also on YouTube, though, once this is posted up on YouTube. So like, share, subscribe, tell your friends on all of this. So that's it for us today. But don't worry. You know, we'll we'll be back at our normal time, our normal day this weekend to talk you know, all great things going on local and nationally sporting wise. So <laughs> for Sid, I'm well, actually, you can follow me at Keenan McGee on the Twitter and at Keenan McGee on the IG. You can follow yours truly, Sydney Brown, on the Twitter and the IG at CK Eddie. Once again, at CK Eddie. That's S I D K I D A zero. That's S I D K I D A zero. You can visit our website for more information on our podcast articles and so much more. We are regalradio.com. That's W E A R E R E G A L radio.com. You can follow us on all social media platforms at War Media. Once again, at W A R R Media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Like, share, subscribe, and tell your friends. And now for Sid, I'm Lakian. This is Second C, especially this is Second C Sports. And we'll see you this weekend when we talk about you know other things that are going on around the sporting world. So be safe, everybody. Till next time, holla.